So today, we're super excited. We're starting a brand new series. Brand new series. I promise you, I'm not giving you stale bread today. I'm not bringing you stale bread. I'm not bringing you regurgitated food. It's nasty, right? I'm bringing you fresh bread. What I mean by that is I want you to simply consider the newness. And, that's not, and it's not that it's new. It's that for some of us, we're just going to see it for the first time. I want you to consider the fresh bread that the Word of God provides us today. Amen? And so we, we're starting a new series called Love Our City, right? And this series, this series is all about looking beyond ourselves, seeing what God sees, doing what God has called us to do, operating on assignment, on assignment. Now let me tell you something about loving our city. If you've been here any length of time or you've been checking us out online or you've been coming for a minute, what you know is this, that we have a firm commitment to start where God has planted us, right? We have a firm commitment to that. I'm not saying that we got it all together. We don't, right? We're still figuring this out. We are building this plane while we are flying it. Some of you are like, I don't want to fly that on that plane. No, jump on. It takes faith. God works there, right? But we, we, are, we have a firm commitment to where God has planted us. And part of the reason why that is so strong with us is because we see it in Scripture. When Jesus first approached the disciples after his resurrection in the book of Acts, he empowered them. He says, guys, stay here in Jerusalem till you receive this power. Now, for us, we got one up on them. I'm going to tell you why. Because the Bible says that for anyone who is in Christ, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. Come on and give God some praise because... Listen, the Holy Spirit, God's presence, his power lives in you. He's working in you, through you, right? But after that, he said to them, and then you're going to go to Jerusalem. You're going to go to Judea. You're going to go to Samaria. You're going to go to the outer ends of the world. In other words, he was saying, I'm giving you an assignment. And that assignment starts with my power. But that assignment's going to lead you to start where you are, and it's going to have a ripple effect beyond where you're at. How many of you know we have not been called to be comfortable? Some of you are like, I don't know about this. I feel like I'm being baited right now. No. Listen, why would we even be intentional about doing that? Why, why would we do that? Some of you are asking, well, who should we be serving? Some of you are asking, how should we serve? How do we engage people? What will we do? And those are all good questions, friends. They are great questions. But we must start with the first and most important question. And that question is the right question. Today I want to talk to you from the heart of God on this topic. I, I don't bring you an opinion. I want to point you to the word, and I want to talk to you about the right question. The right question. Because we know, for beyond a shadow of a doubt, that we have been called to influence this city and to take it beyond the borders of this city. We know that for a fact. And that's already happening, friends. That's been happening, right? This is carrying out beyond the city of Newburgh. This is happening in town of Newburgh. This is going to Monroe. This is going to Poughkeepsie. Man, there's some crazy Christians in here that come from Pomona, that come from New York City. Listen, we got some people in here that said, Man, I've been living in the city all these years, and I love my job, but I'm packing up. I'm moving where my church is at, and I'll just commute to work. Who does that? Let me tell you who does that. People that love Jesus and understand that they are called to what God 
is calling them to. Amen? And so we understand that we are on a mission, that we have been commissioned. But we have to consider this, that before we think about why, before we think about when, before we think about how and what, we have to talk about who. Specifically, we have to talk about you and me and us. Go ahead and turn to somebody and tell him he's talking about you. Right? Tell somebody, turn to turn to your other neighbor and tell him he's talking about me. Right? Now tell somebody else, they're talking about us. And I know some of you are going, man, can we just go to lunch already? I'm ready to go. Worship was good. I don't want to be here today. Listen. Here's the reality that oftentimes when it comes to acts of service, when it comes to expressing the love of God, when it comes to being intentional about being God's hands and feet, about reaching people that nobody wants to reach, that nobody dares to go to, right? Going to dark places and bringing light, right? When it comes to that, some of us go for it in moments. I'll tell you what I'm talking about. Oh, my church is doing this, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to jump on board with that, right? Or, you know, I'm just going to share it with my most intimate partner, my husband. That's great. Nothing wrong with that. But is it taking you beyond your place of comfort? Is it pushing you past the box? Is it taking you to the place that God says where he does exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond what we could ask or imagine? Are you functioning with the God who declares that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered the hearts of men, the things that God has in store for those who love him? Listen, God has something so much greater than these four walls. About four of you got that one. We go for it in moments. Some of us, we do it out of duty, out of obligation. Some of us, we do it for the emotional high. Oh, I just love how I feel when I do something for somebody. Great. That's, that's awesome. It's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But is it for the right reason? Is it for the right reason? Whatever the reason, we have to look deep within and question if we serve people, if we extend ourselves to people, and if we will love people for the right reason, for the right reason. There was a day where Jesus had an encounter with an expert in Jewish law, right? This was a religious guy. This was like bishop such and such, right? Apostle such and such. Like it was, he was like a big deal, right? This guy knew his Torah inside and out. Right? And he came to Jesus, the scripture tells us, with a question, but the intent of this question was to test Jesus, right? to put him to the test. In other words, this guy was pretty confident that he had it together, that he knew what this law was about, this, this whole deal of relationship with God and how we're supposed to do this. And so he asked Jesus, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The implication of his question is, what am I supposed to do to be right? What, what, what does it look like to actually be a part of this kingdom that you're talking about that has now come, right? What, what is this all about? How do I make this work? What's my part? And Jesus said to him as an expert, said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? How do you interpret it? What's your understanding of it? And this guy goes, <coughs> well, 
12, being that you asked, he says to Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I want to pause right here for a moment because I want you to notice what he didn't reference. He did not reference what the average Jewish expert in the law would reference. He didn't come out and go, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. He didn't go to the thou shalt not. He summarized the law in its purest form. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is radical. And Jesus looks upon him and he says, you've answered correctly. Watch this. Do this and you will live. That tells us something. He wasn't doing it. He wasn't doing it. And so this man, the scripture tells us, wanted to justify himself. Yeah, 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 I understand loving God and loving people, you know, loving your neighbors, yourself. That's the pinnacle of life. That's what it takes to get into the kingdom. But let me ask you this, Jesus. Who's my neighbor? Who's this neighbor that I'm supposed to love? In the same manner that I love God, with that same intensity, that same passion, that same compassion of love for God. Who who am I supposed, who's that person? Who's my neighbor? And Jesus wisely responds to him and to us with a parable. In this parable, Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 30, it says that a man was going down. From Jerusalem to, Je- to Jericho. Let me pause right there for a moment and give you context here. This is Jewish country. Right? You know how when you go down south, you know you're down south because everybody speaks with a, uh, with a you know, some sort of twang, right? I go down there every now and then and say, Jose, you got an accent. And I say, you are bugging out, brother. You're the one with the accent. The more north you are, the closer you are to the kingdom of God. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. For all my southern people, because we do have some family that watches online, we love you. I'm just messing with you, right? Anyway, this is Jewish country. So the context here implies that it should involve only Jewish people, that this only applies to Jewish people, because after all, Jesus is directing this parable to a Jewish man in a Jewish crowd that's on the sidelines, in the peripheral, listening to this, watching this. And so a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when he was attacked by who? Say that with me. Robbers. Come on, say that with me. He was attacked by who? Robbers. Don't forget those guys. We're going to come back to those. Right? They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And then a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, she keeps on passing me by. Deuces. Love you. They can't touch you. Right? He passes him by on the other side, and so too a Levite. This is another Jewish person. When he came to the place and saw him, peace. Peace out, Cub Scout. Love you, but I can't, can't touch you. So he comes to the place and he sees him and he passes by on the other side. But watch this, verse 33. But a what? A Samaritan. A Samaritan. A Samaritan. This is not a Jewish person. 
Start getting this visual. This person doesn't belong in this story. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. So he draws near, and as he draws near, he did what? And when he saw him, he took what? Pity on him. The word pity here is not like, you know, you Hispanics that you go, Ay, bendito. Right? Oh, I feel so bad for you. You know, let me, you got boo-boo. Right? No, that, that's not that kind of pity. The word pity here in the original language is compassion. And in Hebrew thought, in, Jewish, in, in the Jewish thought in these days, and even now, they believe that compassion is a deep move of God. It's a love that comes directly from the most inward part of your bowels of your soul. So this man looks upon this hurt man who's down and out, who's left half dead, and he has compassion for him. Verse 34, and he went to him and he did what? He bandaged his wounds. Come on, work with me here. He did what? He poured on, okay, bandaged wounds. Yeah, we'll go back to that, right? And then what else did he do? He poured on oil and wine, right? And watch this. Then he put the man on his donkey. That's like putting him in your Cadillac. That was the equivalent back in those days, right? And he brought him to an inn. Not the budget inn, by the way, right? Not like the Red Roof Inn, right? Like, he put him up in a place, right? And he took what? Care of him. Took care of him. Now watch this. The next day, it gets better. He took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. And watch how great his compassion drove them. He said to the innkeeper, look after him. And when I return, when I return, when I return, I want you to see his intentions. I'm not just going to help you and leave you. I'm going to help you and make sure that you heal. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. This is where the rubber meets the road. Jesus looks at this man and he says to him, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So let's unpack this. Let's really dig into this. This man, it's obvious, was challenging Jesus on who he thought he was supposed to love as his quote-unquote neighbor. The line of questioning with which he approached Jesus implies that his understanding was when he asked, who's my neighbor, he's asking, who am I supposed to help? Who am I supposed to help pick up? Who am I supposed to uh, uh, lend a hand to, to that they might be restored? Who am I supposed to help uh, get to that place of healing? Who am I supposed to help? Who am I supposed to serve? And it's very interesting because when Jesus responded, remember, the, remember what Jesus said, which one of these three was the neighbor? Jesus is not addressing who he thinks is the neighbor. Jesus is identifying who's the real neighbor. Let me put it to you this way. Jesus in that moment identified who really needed the help. And it wasn't the man on the ground. It was the person on the road. Friend, family, 
whether you are here or you are online, I want you to start asking yourself this question. Which one of these am I? Which one of these am I? Because what we begin to see in this parable, and these are the words of Jesus. Friends, these are, this, is not my, this is not my idea. This is not something that we're just conjuring up and, you know, repackaging. No, these are the very words of Jesus, and Jesus is intentional. In other words, he's trying to get our attention. And what we begin to see through this parable is that to love and serve God and to love and serve people with that equal passion, compassion, intensity, with that love that God has towards us and that love that we are called and compelled to give to others. In order to do that, we must look within and assess if the love of God is operating in us regardless of who is before us. And so we're going to take a deeper look into this parable. I bring you such a simple message today. Such a simple message, but don't miss God in it. Don't miss this moment where heaven touches earth and God speaks directly to your heart. Don't miss this moment, friend. I'm going to tell three people, don't miss this moment. Yeah, I'm going to tell somebody else, I'm ready. Come on, are you online? Yeah, I know you're ready, yeah. We're going to do this together. So in this parable, what we see is we have three types of people. And these people... Jesus placed them in this story to serve as a mirror into our hearts. So we're going to look at them, and I just simply encourage you that as we're considering the truth in God's word, as we're digging into this, look at the word of God like a mirror and be honest with yourself. And don't think you can't hide it from God. You can hide it because you can't, right? He sees the heart, right? Let's be honest with ourselves and consider which one am I, right? And so the first set of people, the people group that we see is the robbers. The robbers. How many of you love robbers? I'm in the right house. Okay, I get it, right? Despite the fact that some of us have been robbers, right? Some of you didn't get that. All right. Father, I commit them to you, Lord. Look, robbers. Robbers are those who take what does not belong to them because they think it belongs to them. They're selfish. They're centered on self. They're driven by a strong belief system that says, me, mine, more. Me, mine, more. Say that again three times. Me, mine, more. Me, mine, more. Me, mine. Anyway. Right? Robbers are those who take what does not belong to them because they think it belongs to them. Because they believe that they deserve it. It's mine, 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 mine. Now, I have a special people group in my life. They're called toddlers. I have two of them in my life, right? No, as a matter of fact, I have many of them in my life because some of you here at the church, you have taken the Bible literally and you are trying to populate the earth. And that's all right. You keep doing that. That's all right. Right? Brother... I know who that was. I would encourage you to tame that because your wife, yeah, she, she wants to kill you already. Anyways, 
Toddlers are like robbers. Toddlers are like robbers. Let me tell you why I say that. Because toddlers, like robbers, have no concept of boundaries. They have no consideration for what things cost someone else. They don't care for how their wants might affect you. They just demand and live, literally live, to take what they want. Right? Mine, 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 mine. Mine, my granddaughter went from no to mine. It was like she, she learned no, and then she discovered the word mine, and it, was, it opened a whole nother realm. A whole new world, right? Like, like literally, she, she, she's like open. Everything's mine, mine, mine. And she learned that from her brother, who's a toddler as well. He's a year older than her. And, my, you, you know, so I, I love my, my granddaughter, my grandson, but they're robbers. And your kids here in this church, they're robbers. They're absolutely robbers. Let me tell you how good my grandson is at this whole deal of robbing. Right? My grandson, when he first started to talk at the age of one leading into two, right, he would come to you and he would, he would in his broken sentences, he would say, pop, pop. Right there, he had my heart. Right? Pop, pop. A PJ mask toy? He says, Pop-Pop, you want PJ mask? And I would go, do I want PJ mask? And he'd look at me and he'd go, okay. <laughs> like, do you see how manipulative and conniving these toddlers are? Now watch, look, he's gotten better at this. Yesterday, I kid you not, this was just yesterday, right? Kids are in the house, right? My granddaughter, you know, she's, 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 you know, talking, and she's my, my, mine, and this, this, and that. And, you know, I, I was just having a pop-pop and, 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 you know, my granddaughter moment. I was like, Nora, what, what, what you want pop-pop to get you? What toys do you want? And David comes, and he goes, now, he's been, he's, he's got a list. This kid is slick, right? He'll go, pop-pop, show me Catboy on the phone, right? And I'll type in Catboy, right, on the search engine, and, and he'll take my phone and go, all right, let me show you. And he'll start scrolling, he'll go, I want this one, I want this one, I want this one. So one of the toys that he showed me was this guy named Miles, um, Miles Morales from Spider-Man, right? And he wants the, the squishy one, right? So he's, he asked me for it already. So I said, Norma, what toy do you want? And he goes, Norma, you want Miles Morales? <laughs> Don't tell me toddlers are not robbers. Now, why do I share this with you? Let me tell you why I share this with you. Because robbers are like toddlers in that they are immature. Toddlers are immature. And robbers are in the same boat. Why? Because it's all about me. It's all about mine. It's all about more. It's mine, mine, mine. And that's the relationship that they maintain with the Lord. That's their approach to things in the kingdom of God. Me, mine, more. Right? But you see, like toddlers, robbers face a great danger because robbers and toddlers, if you leave them to themselves without direction and instruction, 
they will destroy what's around them. And they will destroy themselves if left to themselves. Yeah, it's going to go bad. Something is bound to happen. And there is a danger to living like robbers. Because we only end up hurting ourselves. Because we're not even thinking about what we're doing and the residual impacts that lie ahead. Let me show you how serious this is from Proverbs 18, verse 1. It says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own what? Desire. So we're talking about a person who's me, mine, more. My, mine, mine. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. In other words, this person can't help messing things up. Because it's all about me. It's all about more. It's all about mine. And robbers like toddlers are immature because selfishness in the kingdom of God is immaturity. It is immaturity. And the danger of living our lives like robbers is that we become so consumed with taking what we don't realize that our desires are where it's leading us, we're chasing after our desires, we don't realize that it eventually leads us to a trap. Because it leaves us in a place of isolation. Friends, when it's me, mine, more. Mine, mine, mine. God wants to help you, but he can't. Why? Because you restrict the hand of God from lifting you to the place that he's called you to love God, but to also love your neighbor as yourself. Robbers, like toddlers, man. It's destructive, right? The second people group that we have here are religious people who have no religion. Religious people who have no religion. Let me remind you that the priest, the original language denotes that this wasn't just any priest, this was a high priest. In other words, this was someone who knew better. This is someone who aspired, who, who, who served as inspiration to many in the nation of Israel. They were the ones that presented the most sacred offerings. They were the ones that went before the Lord and presented sacrifices. These were the people that taught the people, that instructed them on how to follow God, that corrected people. This was someone of high caliber. This was... <coughs> I'm here. Looked apart, acted apart, talked apart. Everybody said, man, that's the man. He sits at God's right hand. The Levite was running a close second to the high priest because the Levite comes from a tribe specific in the people of Israel that their job is to work with the high priest. The high priest comes from the Levitical tribe. So any one of them could be high priest at some point. But these people were devoted to everything that had to do with service unto God, ministering to God, and ministering to people, serving people, right? So these were the people that should have stopped on the road and didn't. They didn't. They didn't. And the reason, the question is why? Now, remember, they were on a road that was between Jericho and Jerusalem. So that tells us something. They were either on the way to the temple, which was in Jerusalem, to do religious things, or they were on their way back to Jericho, which was the equivalent of a church town. 
That's where all the priests and Levites, that's where they all lived. So whether they were going or coming to Jerusalem or from Jerusalem, to Jericho or from Jericho, either way, they were going to be amongst religious people to do religious things, to put on a religious act. And what's crazy about this is that while they're on their way to do what they've been called to do, what they've been anointed to do, they're so busy with their religion and their life that they take no time to stop. Now, if the shoe fits here today, don't wear it. It's time to change it. It's time to change it. It's time to change it. Let me tell you what's actually happening for the person who is very religious but has no religion. Ezekiel 34 verses 17 through 20 puts it this way. As for you, my flock, thus says who? The Lord God, right? Behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture? And to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet. Watch this. And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says who? The Lord. Thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Leave that scripture up, please. The fat sheep and the lean sheep. What we're seeing here is two types of sheep. And the fat sheep, what we can, what we can conclude from what we just read, is they are the ones that eat all the good pasture. They are consumed with their consumption, right? Give me the word. Give me the blessings. Give me the promises. Give me the opportunity. Give me the position. Give me the place on the stage. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. I'm so blessed. I'm so full. My cup runneth over. The problem is it doesn't. Because if it did, there wouldn't be no lean sheep. So get this. Based on this passage, what we see is that the religious person is consumed by their consumption of what God's word says. Oh, they can tell you what God's word says. They are full of it. Right? This person is consumed with their consumption of the blessings, the benefits, their standing, and their righteousness before God. This person is so fat on good pasture that they rob the sheep around them from the opportunity to receive the gospel. You're so consumed. Thank you for that one person that got it. You're so consumed with what you get from the word, what you get out of church, what the message was for you, that you forget that you have been commissioned to make room for people to come and eat from the same pasture, grow because of that pasture, and walk in community with you. Friends, if you are just consumed with your consumption of religion, you may have religion, but you're not religious. You're not religious. Let me prove it to you. 
remember, the fat sheep destroy the pasture. They muddy the waters. In all their glory, in all their testimony, and everything that God's doing for them, they have muddied the waters because they themselves don't dare to lead someone to Christ. What a sad testimony. What a glaring reality that we sometimes miss. James 1.27 says this, religion that is pure. Oh, friends, there is a religion that is pure. The scripture talks about it. We're seeing it right here. That word pure there is clean before God. It's complete. Religion that is pure and undefiled, the opposite of what we just read in Ezekiel. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's leave that scripture up for a moment. Now, this is not a prescriptive portion of scripture. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that this is not a literal interpretation. It's not to be literally interpreted where we say, well, if I'm just going to do it right, if I'm really going to walk in this kingdom of God, then I need to go find people that have no father. I need to go find as many kids that don't have a father, right, don't have a mother, that are orphans, and I need to go find men or women that are without a spouse because their spouse is deceased. That is not what the Scripture is saying here, friends. And let me give you a context directly from the Scriptures. Jesus refers to himself as a husband to his bride. As a husband to his bride. The Scripture gives us evidence that God is a father to the fatherless. My point with that is this, that this speaks of every single person that does not know Christ. And according to the scripture, pure religion, clean religion, unmuddied waters, yeah, is the person who understands that I got to make room, I got to move over. And maybe I got to lean up a little bit, but I got to make sure that you eat too. This is the person that is concerned about people beyond themselves. This is the person that doesn't just go to church. They're striving to bring people to church. And if they won't come to church, they're bringing the church to them. Come on and give God some praise. See, the person who doesn't know Christ is fatherless. The person who doesn't know Christ does not know that God loves them as a husband is supposed to love a wife. That God is after their heart. In every sense of the word, true religion is born out of a great love for God that creates an even greater love for one's fellow man. And according to the scripture, not my opinion, that, my friend, is true religion. That, my friend, is being untainted from the world. That's true religion. The last point I want to leave you with here is we see a third type of people group. The one who loves. The one who loves. Now Samaritans, Samaritans were people that were deemed illegitimate by the nation of Israel. They claimed the same God, but the people of Israel looked down on them. I said, you don't qualify. You're not even fully Jewish. You don't look the part. You're a sinner. 
You worship contrary to our Jewish traditions. You don't look the part. You don't act the part. And you certainly don't fit with us. You're ceremoniously unclean. This is the way they viewed Samaritans. Samaritans were referred to by Jews as dead dogs. They detested them. They hated them. They reviled them. And like the Samaritan, before the Jew, remember, this is a Jewish context that we're talking about. Jesus is shocking the Jewish world in this moment. Because the hero is not the person that fits in the story. The hero, the one that God chooses, the one that God loves, the one that God anoints, the one that God calls, the one that God equips, the one that God draws out is a Samaritan. Friends, we did not fit in the story, but thank God that Jesus made, a, made us a part of his story. Thank God that God chooses people like you and like me, people that I have hurt people that have been broken, people that struggle with certain things, and yet God says, I'll choose you, the foolish things, to confound these religious fools that think they're wise. I will choose you out of a place of darkness, and I'll turn your darkness to light. I'll take your mess and create a message of hope, a message of redemption, a message of revival, a message that restores. Friends, the Samaritan in this story is me and you. Because the scripture says that while we were still yet in sin, Christ died for us. Like the Samaritan, Jesus has chosen you to pick up the dying and hurting, to clean the wounds of the wounded, to sacrifice your plans, your time, your resources, your finances, to lay it all down and make a way for someone else to reap from good pasture, to glean from it, to come to life. Let me give you two portions of scripture here real quick. Because the one who loves his neighbor understands how much he and she is loved by God and how much God loves the world around them. 1 John 4, 21 says this, and he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God. Do I have an anyone in this house? Do I have an anyone online? Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now, lest you think that that's just talking about the person that you go to church with or your physical brother and sister, who some of you don't even love them, right? Here's the reality. That word, that term there, brother and sister, in the original language, denotes your fellow man. That's anyone. See, we're commanded to do so. And so here's where we're going to land today. And you got to be here next week. You got to be here next week and try and bring somebody with you because we're seeing something completely different from the scriptures. I'm about to introduce something that we're going to be doing going forward. But before we get there, there's a question that we all have to wrestle with, the right question. Here's the right question. 
Which neighbor are you? Right now, before God Almighty, who bears witness, let's be honest. Which neighbor are you? And the second question that we have to consider is, which neighbor do you commit to be from this day forward? Jesus was extending this man an opportunity to change. It's the same one before us today. Which neighbor will you commit to be? Friends, I assure you, God isn't playing when it comes to this. Romans 15.2 puts it this way. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. You know what we are? We who have been redeemed, we who know Christ, we who are devoted Christ followers, we who are on this journey of faith, we are builders. We are builders. The Bible puts it this way. Unless the Lord builds the house, the, they that labor, labor in vain. God is the master builder. He gets all the credit, but we're called to labor. And we're called to labor for the lives of people. We're called to kick the gates of hell down day after day and bring hope and bring light and bring truth. We're called to depopulate heaven and overpop depopulate hell and overpopulate heaven. About four of you believe that. And so, we're going to put some legs to this. We're going to start exercising some spiritual muscle. We're going to start burning some fat. One thing that's true about us that we thank God for because we can't take credit. Man, I tell you, I am not as smart as some people think. I'm just not. But what we do is we do trust God and we believe his word. We try to keep it simple. So starting in July and from every year going forward in July, we're going to be doing one of many things that we've done. But this is something new. We're going to do something that we're going to call Love Our City. Let me tell you what Love Our City is going to entail. Love Our City from July 17th to July 20th. That was your opportunity to pull out your pen, pull out your calendar, and make an appointment with God. And make an appointment with people that need Christ. From July 17th to July 20th, we are going to invade the city of Newburgh. We're going to put on some t-shirts so that they, there's no, there's no denying. These people are crazy for Jesus and they mean business. We're going to show up in coffee shops. We're going to show up at gas stations. We're going to show up in different places. And we're going to meet people right where they are. Yes, we're going to give them a gift. Yes, we're going to engage them. But we're going to tell them we love our city and God loves you. And we're going to listen to people's story. We're going to engage with people. We're going to pray with people. We're going to encourage people. We're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus because he has not changed his mind about establishing his kingdom here on this earth. Now, here's what I know to be true. The average church in the United States, 20% of the church does 100% of the work. Here at Church at the Bridge, 30% of the congregation does 100% of the work. Some of you might be going, oh, that's great. No, it's not. It's not. 
What I want to do is tip the scales. How about if we had 100% of the church say, I'll take one of those days off. I'll bring some tools. I'll devote some resources towards this. I'll put my money where my mouth is. And I will step out into this community and I will dare to show somebody the love of God. Because people don't want to hear about Jesus. They want to meet him. They want to meet him. Oh, but you know, I'm working one of, on those days. Take your lunch break. Take an extended one. Take a half day. But I don't get paid. No, your reward comes from the Lord, my friend. So we're going to do whatever it takes to flood this region on, the, on those days. And let me tell you how this started. This started with a dream between me and Pastor Annette. Conversation with a friend of ours who's in ministry in another state. And we, we started talking about this, and I started sharing it with some friends of mine that are in ministry in different areas in the Hudson Valley. And all of a sudden, Fishkill goes, can, can, can we do that too on that week? Absolutely. Fishkill jumped on board. Port Jervis is jumping on board. Goshen is jumping on board. Warwick is jumping on board, right? Hopewell Junction is jumping on board. Poughkeepsie's jumping on board. Right? Middletown is in the works. Friends, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put a stamp on this thing. We're going to declare to hell this, that week and beyond, right, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus cares, and that he still wants to restore the helpless to bring them hope. Come on and give God some praise. Let's stand. Now, I know what some of you are thinking because I've been there. I'm just like you. All right, so we do some cool stuff one week, and then what? Oh, no, friends. The Bible says that we're called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You know how you start learning how to work in the kingdom? You start doing kingdom business. But here's the thing. We're going to give you the opportunity to flex and work out those muscles to burn off some fat so that you can get going. Because once you begin to see how God can work through you, now you'll see other people around you and go, can I just tell you what God is doing in my life right now? Can I just extend you a helping hand? Can I bring you hope where you feel like you have no help? Listen, friends, we're just at the beginning, at the cusp of what God wants to do. Amen? And so we're going to do something together here. I want you to reach out to a neighbor. Maybe put your hand on their shoulder if you're okay with that. Maybe grab a hand if, if, if you're comfortable with that. Whatever that is. And what we're going to do is we're going to do what Psalm 37 says. Psalm 37 verse 5 says, commit your way to the Lord. It says, trust in him also. And he will establish the path ahead of you. So friends, what we're going to do is this. We're going to commit this to almighty God. We're going to put this before the throne of his grace. And we're going to believe and trust that as we step out doing what the word of God declares is his will, that we're going to go into the world, that we're going to make disciples, that we're going to be intentional about reaching people with the love of Jesus, of bringing help and healing, of unlocking the cages that have kept the captive stuck 
and declaring a message of freedom that unlocks the kingdom of God in their lives. We're going to believe that as we do that, that many shall come to the saving knowledge of Christ. We're going to believe that many homes will be restored. We're going to believe that many communities, many neighborhoods will go from darkness to light. And we're going to do this in partnership with God. And so, Father, today, before your throne, Lord... We serve notice on hell. We serve notice on every demon, every strong man, every stronghold. And we tell you in the name of Jesus, the kingdom of God is at hand and you must be removed. We declare freedom to the captive. We declare life to the dead places. We declare hope to those who have lost hope. And we declare, Lord, that in your name we will go forward and we will see mighty things because we are partnering with you. We declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.